Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 guten tag, and willkommen to another videography episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your visual Paul on a non-visual format all of the time. I'm, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and as you've probably guessed from the title, we're going to be carrying on with part two of our dissertation on the dissection of the videography of post-Beatle Paul McCartney. Last time in part one, we witnessed the lows of the unrealised photo book video for 1970s Maybe I'm Amazed, to the highs of the zany, energetically creative heights of 1973's Helen Wheels. All in all, it was a typical Wings affair, really, and therefore was a suitably and wonderfully inconsistent film experience from start to finish. So, maybe now that we have reached the official Band on the Run era, you know, the, the band are picking up a bit, of, a bit of traction here. They're finding their feet. So I'd like to see them consolidate their gains, go back to the music video drawing board and start creating something a little more professional to reflect this newfound musical achievement. Hmm. I guess we'll have to see about all of that. This is Wings after all. But yeah, it feels good to be getting back into some of our regular content after the Egypt Station media blitz and all of the Paul is dead and... Of course, I've been spending so much time just writing the Tug of War episode, which kind of threw me off balance somewhat. I think this is the third or fourth or fiftieth of our respective side serieses, uh, side series on this podcast. And of course, it only brings me joy to delay the proper episodes of these podcasts with these little digressions, shall we call them. Yes, Tug of War and Pops Peace are just around the corner. Don't panic. But I really do have fun with these music video episodes and... I do a similar thing with my friend Tom, who you may remember from our McCartney 2 episode and my Freshen Up December 16th gig review episode. Of course, Tom is my main man, my main podcasting co-host throughout history, all the way back on Down in the Hole. But on his current podcast, Alpha Metallica, we do these music video reviews where we've been going through the entirety of Metallica. But we've been doing that together, so we've been able to support each other through the similarly inconsistent highs and lows of that band's music video output. So it really is safe to say that I really dig this shit. I love talking about music videos. It's such a uniquely fun and expressive art form that's just so easy to talk about. And I'm pretty sure we are the only podcast that is tackling this as a subject at the moment. Any Paul McCartney content on this show is up for review. And this side series is just another one of those many odd, weird little tangents that I want to take this podcast down. So here we go. Even before I started this podcast, I knew McCartney was an out-and-out entertainer, but as a mean millennial who finds pleasure in taking the piss out of poorly-aged media, these videos act as a veritable gold mine of humour and intrigue. It's hard for me to picture a world where not only did someone think that some of these videos were par for the course and suitable for distribution, but that there was a world where I have to be sure that many people thought this shit was good, the best, and frankly that feels alien to me. Like, I have an easier time empathising with those old-timey folks who ran away from the screen when the train was coming at them than these people being content watching these shockingly odd music videos in their infancy. Though there are several reasons for this, of course. 
primarily, and this is an excuse you'll hear a lot, that there was simply just much less other media to compare other things to. Like art has been exponential over the last few, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And there are more films and more TV shows and more albums than ever to get into. And at this point for Paul McCartney in the early to mid seventies, that was just not the case. Uh, you, you might have a couple of albums out a week, maybe a new film or two every weekend, four or five channels at the most, probably only three. Uh, and a few radio stations, there just wasn't enough content out there to, to kind of saturate the market in the way that it has. And obviously this is prior to the boon of the MTV generation. These were not shown on a specific music video channel. These were shown at promotional events, perhaps on TV or on top of the pops once. And that was it. So there was a genuine novelty and treat element to an actual music video. They were you know, in an era before social media. One of the only ways you could get extra content, get extra access and a close-up of some of your favorite artists. No internet, none of this instant access and, you know, Twitter. And then of course you have to couple this with an overall increased level of cine literacy across the general population over the last 30 years. And it becomes a lot easier to not empathize, but sympathize with the audiences of that day. Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. I mean, it's becoming increasingly apparent that this photography is not even living up to wings, let alone Paul McCartney. And the band's image problems were only exacerbated by these clips. Yes, we all know that Wings were a band that have always and always will have an image problem. And, oh, I just can't believe that they thought that some of these would help mitigate that because they just don't. It really didn't have to be that way though. Put the videography of Michael Jackson or the quality of the videography of Michael Jackson and transpose it onto Wings and we have a completely different band entirely, don't we? Housekeeping! So if you want to get in contact with the show, you can firstly do that via email. That is the most intimate and effective way to get in contact with the show. That is paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. You must know this by now. That's paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Though today we do actually have an email that I'd like to read out before we dive into the show. This was an email that we had from Dylan Seavey or Dylan Sevy. He sent me this lovely email around the Christmas period and it certainly brightened my day. Hi Sam, discovered your podcast recently and I've had an absolute blast listening to it. I'm excited that you were able to overcome your agoraphobia and finally see Paul. Thank you Dylan. I got to see him just once back in 2009 and it was remarkable. I may or may not have cried a couple of times. Don't worry Dylan, I had the exact same thing. Recently, I embarked on a project ranking all 67 solo Beatles records and I've been immersed in it since March of this year. I believe I tentatively have finished it. I've written a 34,000 word piece on it that I hope to get published. I'm looking into all different options as I shop it around. Perhaps when my life isn't so busy otherwise, I'll consider starting my own podcast based around that idea. Maybe I'll need a guest on certain Macca related episodes. Wink emoji. Thanks again for putting together such a great show and I'm excited to keep working through it. Take care, best Dylan. Well Dylan, I'm glad that someone else is doing some work on this podcast because it is exhausting me. No, but in all seriousness, thank you so much for that wonderful email. It's always great to get stuff like this in on the show. And I wrote back to Dylan and I asked him further and inquired pride into his book and how he wanted to do it. And I, for the record, fully support the idea of you, Dylan, doing it as a podcast. Of course I do. All podcasters such as myself do 
get infected with this virus, whereby any time a close friend or relative mentions something that they're interested in and they have a knack for and they're pretty damn bright with, you just have to recommend that they turn it into a podcast because it's just so easy to do once you get going. It just becomes like riding a bicycle or breathing. But the main reason I support it as a podcast is the fact that it's a unique format. It's a, it's a unique idea, which is such a, a rare thing these days. And I, of course, would gladly listen to it. And then, of course, Dylan, if you are listening, which I'm most certainly sure that you are, then, duh, of course, I would gladly come on your hypothetical show. But far more enthusiastically, I would be also glad to have you on this show, even if just to talk about your project and nothing else. Like, we don't even talk, talk about wider Paul or anything. And that's simply because the idea, the project, is just really cool and it's really caught my eye. Then, in reply, Dylan actually said, I am leaning more and more towards self-publishing, but I will see if I can get anyone to bite before I do that. I would seriously love to do the podcast one day. I unfortunately don't think my current schedule would allow it. I'm a full-time musician who travels consistently. I may be back in the UK April or May, but I do think I could do a decent job with it. Whatever my plans are, I would be more than happy to join you at any point to defend my Lennon rankings or discuss anything you see fit. Well, we will make a date, Dylan. We will have you on this show gladly. If you too want to get on this show, uh, if you want to talk about anything, I would gladly have you on. Possibly, if you want to hit me up quickly and arrange this, you can find me on Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. It is the best way to keep up to date with the show, as well as take part in all of my McCartney-related ramblings. That's at McCartneyPod. There is, of course, our sister blog as well. That is www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Again, that is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. And that is the place where all of the episodes get posted, but it is also the best place to see extra content. Extra content that I can't quite put into episodes or have not yet put into an episode. These blog posts can be anything from me discussing the songs between Paul and John Lennon, me defending why Linda is awesome, or even just bragging about my own vinyl collection. And yep, some of these may become episodes in the future, but the best way to see that content quickly is to check out the blog. That's paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube simply by typing in Paul McCartney Podcast or Paul or Nothing. Leave us a five-star iTunes review if you can. I've actually seen a few of them now. Uh, the app on my phone, my iTunes app, has been updated recently, and I've actually seen a few of the critical reviews that I've had for, for the show. Most of them five stars. Thank you, folks. I've been asking for this for a while, and obviously you've gone out there and done it. I've seen a few reviews on the uh, podcast app as well. Mostly very positive. Again, thank you, guys. I always appreciate that kind of feedback. And again, it always boosts the show in those weird little algorithms and gives it more exposure so more people can be involved. And then, of course, we have the Patreon. Of course, you know what this is by now. It is the best way for you out there, the listener, to help the content creator. That is me, essentially, to keep the lights running, to help keep the podcast up online, up on Podbean. You know, obviously, I do this in my spare time. I'd love to do it full-time in an alternative future, but I'm not quite at that point yet. But with each donation, that helps me get closer to that goal and allows me to spend more and more time and spend more on this podcast. You know, I'd love to get another new mic soon. I've just recently got one that's okay, it's going to do the job, but I'd love a professional mic and a bit more fancy equipment, even if just to make me feel like a proper podcaster, you know? You can help support the show simply by going on www.patreon.com slash McCartneyPod. The link for it will be down below, but that's patreon.com slash McCartneyPod. Phew! Now that that's over, let's crack on with the episode. Stuck inside these four Sent inside forever 
So, the first video for today's episode, by all rights, should have been at the end of the last episode, especially as I'll be breaking the six video format for this very episode and the next one, I think, and double especially seeing as it is the title song of that album, but no, we will be discussing Band on the Run from Band on the Run 1974 this time around. Whilst the obvious instant comparisons, both in its look and production, will of course be Mamunia from our last episode, Though it is just as clear that Band on the Run is a drastic improvement in every single way to said previous bootleg video, but conversely that doesn't mean it's anything that special either. For content purposes this really isn't the most fertile or vibrant of media clips to discuss, mostly for the same reasons that both made Maybe I'm Amazed and Mamunia the duds of the last episode. Again, go back and download that shitstorm if you haven't already and see what I mean. The description of the quote-unquote moving images that are presented to us here, to the tune of Band on the Run, as a heavily quote-unquote music video would simply not be an accurate description, both as an official piece of promotional material for McCartney and in terms of adhering to the actual conventions of the medium. I mean, for fuck's sake. We're not doing very well here, people. We're seven music videos in and three of these bastards now have barely even counted as one at all. Again, this one included. The film that you can still watch, as is, was not commissioned by McCartney, MPL, Capital, or any of those suits for that matter. And its inclusion on the Band on the Run DVD, remastered, re-release, whatever, in 2010, was probably only done retrospectively as a little bonus gesture for the fans rather than anything officially sanctioned as part of the McCartney canon. The quirky little film that I'll go into a little more detail about soon was actually produced in an entirely independent and unauthorised manner by a super fan college student named Michael Coulson, who had this to say about the project on his own website. I made the film whilst I was a student at Hornsey College of Art. It was intended as a short graphic history of the Beatles. I chose this particular Paul McCartney track for the film as I liked the beginning instrumental section and originally I was going to just use the first section. But I was persuaded by my tutor to create a film to accompany the complete track. As there were no music videos at this time, brackets, MTV did not appear until 1981, close brackets, this was a revolutionary idea and I went along with it. I was influenced by Richard Lester's A Hard Day's Night and to a lesser extent help. I'd like the animated film Yellow Submarine which came out in 1968 also. I too was very interested in Terry Gilliam's animated sequences for the British TV show Monty Python's Flying Circus. And I had seen these films and wanted to understand how they were made and tried to make something of my own. As well as being an homage to the Beatles, my film was a chance for me to experiment with film techniques and effects such as set making, back projection and in-camera superimpositions. I shot the film using a wind-up Bolex camera with a cable release button that I had to click in order to expose a frame of film. I had to click it 24 times to create a second of film. Sometimes I used the camera attached to an animation rostrum on which I placed stills and sometimes I used as a conventional movie camera shooting live action shots. I wanted to use images of the Beatles that I could cut up and manipulate. I was helped by David Cheshire, former art executive and design librarian at Hornsey College of Art, who had a huge collection of pop culture magazines, which he allowed me to copy. Everything in the film was handmade and it took two years to complete. It was my first film, a music video made before there were music videos, and I entered it into the Movie Maker Young Filmmakers competition, where it won a Gold Star Award and was screened at their gala in 1978. 
So Wikipedia lists this video as being released in 1974, but this is probably a Wikipedia cock-up, as Paul couldn't have even known about this music video until 1978. You know, unless he really is in the Illuminati or something. But yeah, just to go into some detail as to what the actual content of this video is, the main issue that stops this video from really resonating with me as a guy coming at this um, from an angle of critiquing Wings content, and is a pretty fucking big fucking issue, is the fact that all of the footage is entirely comprised of the Beatles. Yes, sorry if I've only mentioned that in passing or just touched on in the quote or not at all, but yeah, the central gaffe of this whole video concept is that none, zero, zilch of the footage that we see actually features wings in any shape or form. Paul is there, sure, but only younger and as part of the Beatles. And this disconnect between image and sound, whilst kind of interesting on paper, I guess, for the most part, really just isn't arranged in any kind of way that is inspired, you know, outside of just simply doing it first. Which he did, and you've always got to credit an artist for doing something first, so well done on that. However, this Beatles-heavy footage only draws attention to the fact that the original piece was never intended to be seen as a fully commissioned quote-unquote music video for Paul McCartney and Wings. It was an art project that was only ever going to use the first blooming part of the bloody song, and was only expanded to feature length by his art teacher. Like, couldn't have even transitioned it from that early Beatle part into some Wings footage? Was there just not enough stock footage lying around and pictures of Wings in pop culture magazines? I guess not. However, it appears that there may very well have been a more conventional music video for this song. In doing my research, I stumbled across a link from Vimeo that appears to be some sort of made-for-TV slash made-for-MTV slash generic compilation of the Wings Over America tour type of music video. It's basic, like really basic, and it is essentially something an intern could have cobbled together between lunch and clocking out time, but at least it fucking features the band and they're singing the actual bastard song. I mean, seriously, is it too much to ask that the band and the music match up? I seriously feel like I shouldn't have to ask that and it would be one of the primary Ten Commandments of music videos. Sadly, the final point that has to be made at the end of this particular review, and this is something that is getting increasingly common uh, across the land of online copyright litigation, I only managed to stumble across that made-for-TV uh, inferior, shockingly, video because the actual one that I've been talking about, the one that was the art project, is just so bloody hard to find now. This is probably for the same reasons that you struggle to find free George Harrison guitar chords online. Cough, 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 cough. And instead now, you have to look up the title Wings et Paul McCartney dash band on the run. That's two words, MC and Cartney, and you can find that on Vimeo.com, which is basically the more superior version of YouTube where they don't just take everything down for the fuck of it. And you can see both of those music videos now. Go check them out, if you dare. Released as a single in 1974 and filmed shortly after Paul and the gang got back from Nashville, the video for Junior's Farm, as well as the song itself, has been a bit of a white whale for me on this podcast, as historically, in my mind, it has always 
some would say unfairly, being the lesser rock song that put a black mark on the Fantastic Wings' greatest compilation album. Essentially, I hoped I was going to be able to avoid talking about this track until the inevitable Hot Hits and Cold Cuts episode that it would inevitably appear on. However, in the run-up to this particular episode, I've been making several trips down to Junior's Farm, and in a turn of events that I'm sure no one saw coming, the visits have become increasingly less wearisome every time I pop down. But I'm not here to spoil my opinions on the song itself, I am here to discuss the music video. And with this one we are, once again, mirroring our first episode in this series, as we've already had one music video of still images, and now we're moving on straight to our allegorical parallel TV style affair in the vein of Hi 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 and Sea Moon. Only this time, it wasn't some cheap pre-recorded televisual affair on a soundstage. No, this time, the band has decided to affect much more of a top-of-the-pop style this time around, as instead we have the band playing in front of an actual audience on a soundstage this time. Which is in itself an improvement, as it's great to see someone in the music video enjoying Wings music. There is a definite improvement all over though in terms of the confidence of the direction in general, and you can see a genuine effort in trying to make it not totally run-of-the-mill. Again, nothing amazing, but the camera actually makes some interesting movements that keeps the eye engaged and makes it feel fresh. Big shout out as well to the quirky use of old fisheye lens that gives the whole thing a brilliantly punky, almost skater video aesthetic at moments also, even though the skater aesthetic had not yet been invented. But yeah, overall, things seem a lot sounder this time around, even if it is just a bunch of guys dancing around in a studio again. The best thing that the director does, though, is ensuring that the band are just fucking presented in a fashion whereby they all look like they're actually having fun and actually want to be there and look like they know what they are doing. I know I was shocked as you are, but here we are, Wings actually looking pretty dang slick for once in their lives. There is energy, everybody's smiling. It really looks like something you're glad that they filmed because you wouldn't have wanted to have missed it. As a, you know, 70s Wings fan, I'm sure many of you actually were. Also, there are these random little weird bright flashes of these pink-hued colour infusions that break things up in that kind of typical ADHD what-the-fuck-was-that-Wings way, which I really appreciated. That did kind of catch me off guard a little. Now, in theory, this should be the best way to sell Wings the live band, because Wings were, at this time, known to be quite the force when live on stage, as opposed to their studio output. Whilst I'm on Alpha Metallica, as I mentioned earlier, and discussing Metallica music videos on there, me and Tom always discuss how well Metallica are at selling said live act. Not in the way that they're kind of hucksters, but in that they successfully filmed their badass show really well and sell the idea of how awesome it would be to actually go and see them. And with a band like Wings, a band for whom hipsters will always compare about how brilliant they were live compared to vinyl, then this video should be the perfect fit, but not quite. The problem is, is that this long eve quote unquote video is not even live and in more ways than one, because not only is this not even live tour footage dubbed over with the official version, but it's a performance that was in all likelihood mixed with just placing the backing track over some well-rehearsed miming, leading to two levels of fakeness before we've even moved past the first frame. Unfortunately, this was par for the course back in the day and if you don't want to lip sync to the backing track, then the studio would tell you to fuck off and the BBC would also go tell you to fuck off if you didn't want to do it on top of the pops. The very idea that Macca wouldn't just pay the money to do a proper music video rather than the very pedestrian, very unremarkable final product that we end up with 
is just a little bit irksome. I mean, it's not even like they did anything unique or fun or interesting with this quote-unquote live format. Essentially, it is just Wings performing live in front of a fake BBC audience which when compared to the single album sleeve, which is a very creative, very expressive, very fun, very silly piece of photography, um, you see how kind of squandered this music video potentially could have been. They could have done something very bouncy and joyful and silly and over the top and slightly camp. But the idea of they could have done something much more creative is a running theme that we're gonna see through a lot of these music videos, I'm sure. One of the more interesting notes, however, is that the drummer in this music video is not Joe English, but rather the notoriously short-lived member of the band, Jeff Britton. Uh, but he actually did record this song with the band, so it is fitting. And it's just very pleasant to actually see, you know, the band in this form, this very all-too-brief form, actually quote-unquote playing together live and interacting as a band. And as with all Wings members who kind of fell by the wayside unfavorably. There is just a complete lack of promotional footage, including this gent at all. So if nothing, this music video is a very special Wings nugget just for its inclusion of Jeff Britton. Though the video really belongs to another Wings member, and that is the guitarist Jimmy McCulloch, who mugs for the camera wonderfully. And even if Paul's not so live declaration of take me away, Jimmy is fake, you know, just before he does that roaring solo, it defies that classic maca cheese and gives Wings a genuinely hardcore, rocky moment. Again, something all too rare. And brings a, an amazing rush to even the most stalwart Wings naysayer with one of those equally all too rare moments of genuine Wings magic. So yeah, it's not the most out there music video ever made, but it's competently shot, competently made, and for once, Wings look like a cool band that you'd actually go and see live. So I'm struggling to give it anything but an A+. But that's just because my standards have been lowered so much, I imagine. The next video we're going to cover is Silly Love Songs, but before that we need to pull the curtain back on the art form of music videos for a second, if that's okay. Promotion and the money made from said promotion is the name of the game with these productions, folks, and greater profit margins are the grand prize. Quality and effectiveness are a nice little bonus, but if you could do that on the cheap with cameras that you already have or had rolling, only makes said promotion even more fruitful. This can range from repackage and repurposing anything involving the band that can be chopped up and edited into something with some sort of cohesion. This can include concert footage, documentary clips, interviews, home movies, news footage, and now, in the modern world, iPhone footage. Whilst this may not be the most creative or artistic way to promote content, it has, for better or worse, been one of the classic hallmarks of the art form. And, consequently, it only made sense that once Wings were famous enough to promote this kind of material, and finally had some actual cameras rolling and following them for their Wings Over America tour, they would be able to actually capitalise on this wave of success by further promoting their current single. Yes, it would have been nice if at the height of Wings' success uh, during the Band on the Run Venus on Mars kind of portion of career had had a better range of music videos, like a proper one for Band on the Run that kind of mirrored the album cover 
or one for 1985, or even just, you know, the band playing in Lagos or on the beach or something for Mamunia or Bluebird. Anything, anything would have would have been enough. And yet there was just nothing at the height of their success. At least their kind of critical success and burgeoning commercial success. But life isn't what you want it to be. And those two albums were the necessary preamble to allow Wings Over America to exist in the first place. So yeah, we just have to settle for silly love songs as a music video instead. You know, instead of something cool or interesting like Magneto and Titanium Man or You Gave Me The Answer, which could have been hilariously corny if done right. I'm not sure what annoys me more, though, you know, the fact that Venus and Mars, like on the Wings' greatest compilation album, did not get a music video, or the fact that the music video we got for... Wings Over America slash Wings at the Speed of Sound ended up being nothing more than another glorified clip show. So yeah, like I say, the next video we're going to cover and the appropriate song of choice for this Wings Over America period is, of course, Silly Love Songs. And this music video is, in effect, just made up of all the offcuts, B-roll and surplus material that was filmed during their conquering of the US of A. And we are treated to shots that cover the full tour from start to finish as, you know, well, as a few intimate moments and behind the scenes nuggets that are thrown in there in an attempt to humanise McCartney. There's concert footage, there's travel footage, there's them miking up and doing sound checks, there's them on the road in that typical Americana fashion. We see the band being interviewed, we see the band meeting the fans, there's everything. As well as the obligatory gang fooling around before and after the gig footage. Right, let me say straight away that I have nothing against music videos made up of live concert footage or music videos made up from b-roll footage like I say you know I do like those Metallica live music videos because they do sell the band and make you want to go see them and again that really could have been this perhaps if they'd used some of the footage from Rock Show and made more of the video about the live experience of the hottest act in America playing the hottest single in America, rather than bits and bobs of various performances of City Love Songs intercut with random tour footage, then I feel it would have been much more successful in selling that Wings Over America experience. I know the footage is kind of being saved back for other things and other projects, but a sprinkling of a proper out and out Wings Over America live video, especially for this song, would have been the proper course of action here. But instead, it's just... When I watch it, I know that it's just another clearly rushed, slapped together project in order to promote an already Titanic single and just sneak in more sales. I get the idea, I do. It's a good and all. Wings Over America was a massive live experience and seeing even a bit of that, you know, can only benefit in spreading that love of that album afield. But the idea of using the footage in this seemingly random, kind of chaotic way for a music video is is normally done as a supplement to a quote-unquote proper music video like this is kind of like the the, the the b plot of it of the of the music video whilst the a plot should be something a lot more interesting going on like normally you spunk your whole budget on a video with costumes and sets and, and special effects and then you promote the second single with footage from the tour pretty standard However, despite the fact that Wings had a shitload of time on their hands and Paul is a guy who in the Beatles was more than capable of coming up with multiple ideas for videos and films, like just look at all the music videos that he had an input in and then of course the Magical Mystery Tour as well. Paul could do all of this stuff. Paul could have given us three or four videos with each album, but it's just not there and it's always so annoying. They will probably just burn out from the tour 
And the fact that they didn't go on and make a full-on music video at this time is kind of understandable, but again, it really would have been something kind of special, especially with this incarnation of the band. I really do wish that there was a much more comprehensive selection of videos for the band at this time. And I guess with our next episode, we're going to see the, the opposite of that and possibly uh, effects as a result of this kind of handling of their music video catalogue. Also, the lack of an official video for this song would eventually lead to Paul trying to right that wrong, kind of, and in the process create one of the most cringe-inducing video sequences in the entirety of his film Give My Regards to Broad Street. And that's saying something. I'm not going to decry the editor of this video too much, um, you know, and nor am I pissing on the fact that most of the footage that we see is pretty exclusive stuff that, that does kind of capture the fun and the enjoyment of the tour. I'm just saying that I would have been much, much happier with a proper worthy music video to accompany a song like Silly Love Songs. Jumping into the next music video, and we have Mull of Kintyre version 1. And yes, you did indeed hear me correctly, folks. Do not adjust your sets. Mull of Kintyre, aka the biggest wing song ever, was clearly so important that it warranted two separate goes at creating a music video. Now, I am not entirely sure why two videos exist for this song as an end result, and they didn't just choose one and stick with it. And trust me, I've scoured the net and every book I own and every person I know, and yet I've still come up short of anything besides supposition, really. Maybe they needed two different videos for different territories, or perhaps the opposite is true and they wanted to promote the song twice as often, and two videos were a mercy move. You know, in order not just to bore us to death completely. My gut causes me to lean towards the idea that, you know, McCartney just was simply not satisfied with this version 1 for one reason or another. Now, regardless of why exactly there is a second one, let's get back to this first one. But it is hard to talk about this one in the way that I wanted to now that I know that a second one was made. Up until a short while ago, I didn't actually know that there were two music videos for Mull of Kintyre. And the real elephant in the room is that version 1 is such an obviously superior product, bar none, in every single way. And we will get to version 2 and why it sucks so much ass when we come to it, spoiler alert, but it is somewhat baffling to me that anyone could look at the awesomeness that is the first version of the Mull of Kintar music video and witness all of the gorgeously lush on-location, on-site footage and be anything other than completely satisfied and really excited to use it. This is a good music video. In all fairness, it is exactly both what you would expect from a Mullifkin Time music video and exactly what you should do if you were set the task of making a Mullifkin Time music video. So there's some wonderful synchronicity here. Just like the song itself, the premise, the execution and the aesthetics are all simple enough to follow and it all comes together in this very satisfying, neatly tied bow package kind of way. We start on a very McCartney image indeed. The opening shot is of the ocean, which is, in itself, the ultimate expression and visualisation of McCartney's sense of freedom. The Mull of Kintyre itself is actually 
separated from the mainland of the UK, so it is appropriate for the song that is about the romanticization of a far-off place to then make the real Kintyre seem all the more of an otherworldly far-off land. Then, as the camera pans, we move from sea to land, we come across a fence, a farmstead, and then you swiftly realise, very much in the vein of Penny Lane and uh, Strawberry Fields, those music videos, that we are actually on location at the titular Mull of Kintyre, which, aside from the novelty, is also just a really cool chance for Macca fans to get a glimpse of this now-famous locale. The building itself is rather distinctly normal and quaint. This isn't George Harrison's, you know, buying Friar Park or anything like that. You know, this Mall of Kintyre is little more than a shack. And it's cute to see that at least some of Paul's talk of, uh, you know, the simple life, yeah, you know, isn't all just talk. And there is McCartney himself, sat atop the turnstile, which is a, a step in the fence for those overseas listeners. And he is dressed in full farmstead chic fashion, like a poor upper class guy or a rich middle class guy. He's strumming his guitar looking oh so very windswept and interesting to the point whereby I actually haven't wanted to copy a McCartney look this bad since the Hey Bulldog sweater vest. And OMG is this some of the best Macca hair of all time. My god the man looks simply gorgeous people. Seriously you just want to smoosh his little cute face yes you do. Okay, fanboy moment over there. Well, hopefully we can move on. So yeah, he's strumming his guitar and the camera holds on the shot of him. And then you see a figure approaching from the home in the distance. Of course, it's Linda with Babe in arms. Then, rather amusingly for me, before Linda actually gets to, to Paul, uh, he actually gets up and starts walking away from her towards the beach. And then as the camera pans, as if by magic, Denny is now stood where, you know, just land was before. Also with guitar in hand, albeit an unplugged electric one. And he's also singing. Admittedly, from one brumai to another, Denny looks mighty sharp in his sleek black outfit, and the two co-writers of this smash hit start to stroll side by side down towards the beach through the lush green country. As a Wings fan, it is just so wonderful to see such a positively pro-Paul and Denny duo image. These are few and far between, so to see something that really makes the two of them look like an actual thing, an actual partnership, an actual band even, just tickles my wish fulfillment gland in a special way. Then the two of them stop as they look down onto the beach in the distance, as does the camera, and we zoom in just on the brink of the bagpipe instrumental to reveal the entire real-life Campbelltown marching pipe band and I'll be saying Campbelltown marching pipe band a lot over this next kind of 15 minutes and they are marching in column formation along the shore followed by lots and lots of glory close-up shots of the lot of them dressed in full glorious regalia. It's a terribly fab image that is both a nice tip of the hat to the band themselves allowing them to to be immortalized forever but also just because the music itself is so thrilling and uplifting that the complimentary image itself just elevates it to a truly triumphant level. Like, it's such a rush. Holy shit, do I love this moment. It's a proper classic Wings moment. Again, I, I, I keep saying it this episode, but they are all too rare. Maybe, obviously, since I've said it a couple of times, maybe they're not as rare as I say, but definitely the perception of the band and the way they are kind of seen outside of the kind of core McCartney fan base is that they, they do lack a certain quality. And moments like this do challenge that and 
I will gladly revel in wanking off this video as long as I can, because such high-quality Wings content just has to be promoted. <laughs> what did pique my curiosity, though, was the large stone castle-slash-citadel-slash-dwarven fortress that you can see behind the Campbelltown band. And part of me that, you know, just praised Macca's own humble lifestyle is now also worried that Sir Paul also owns that castle as well, as the little shack on the beach, maybe the castle, the citadel, the dwarven fortress, uh, is the real Mull of Kintyre. I mean, fuck, chances are Paul probably owns the entire fucking island by this point in the video anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Then, the core Wings trio, Paul, Denny and Linda, all stroll up to the Campbelltown marching pipe band, as they all look out now to the sea as they play a very McCartney image, then they kick back for a moment and basically let the Campbelltown Marching Pipe Band do their thing. Seeing all three of them together here is also another very satisfying Wings image indeed. The, you know, the core Wings trio. Especially since we never really got a proper band on the run music video bar Helen Wheels. And to see the three of them doing their thing at the height of their commercial success, again, warms the cockles of my heart. What happens next, however, should warm the cockles of the rest of your hearts because it's so quintessentially saccharine, gooey, sentimental macca. We see in the distance, in scenes that oddly uh, mirror Edward Woodward in The Wicker Man, a trailing group of locals all come to gather round and sing around a large bonfire on the beach. Though, unfortunately, that there is no moment where Paul stops and screams, Oh Lord! Oh Jesus Christ! And then there's no remake of Nicolas Cage going, Oh no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! But, you know, it's a wholesome communal imagery of Paul, Denny, Linda, the Campbelltown Marching Pipe Band, and all these local folk, men, women, children, all coming together hand in hand, singing a song. And as corny as it sounds, it just works. It really does. Like, yeah, it's cheesy, it's hokey, and it's the stuff of fairy tale stuff like this rarely, if ever, happens. So it's all just in service of promoting a pop song, but there is something. Not in the way she moves, but just how the whole total package of this video is just truly something special. Like, sometimes some things are successful just because they are good, even if they are a bit rubbish. I've been talking about this since the start of the first episode now, but I really have been searching for a genuine, proper, take the art form seriously, do the pre-production, do the post-production music video. And this, my fellow listeners, is indeed the very first one that we have come across, except for maybe Helen Wheels. However, I would argue here that Mullerkintyre version one just has a, an overall resonance that the kind of fun, bouncy imagery of Helen Wheel had, or that Helen Wheels had. Now, whilst you may argue that the simplicity of the song is what allows the music video and its concept to be as practical, iconic, and as cheap as it is, but there is nothing wrong with achieving a simple goal if it's done well, and this is done with grace, simplistic charm, and enough genuine good vibes to wash any bad taste from previous Wings outings. So yeah, folks, this does, however, unfortunately, bring us on to the topic of the second video, the second attempt at Mull of Kintyre. 
Yes, let's talk about Mull of Kintyre version 2 Electric Boogaloo, which as an entity is just such a strange and curious oddity. As I mentioned before, the official reasons for its existence are murky at best, but as we go through this video I think it'll become a little more clear at least from my own biased perspective, and obviously for the fact that you've been listening to this episode you've probably guessed that I am not the biggest fan of this music video, obviously you'd be right, but I am trying to hold back the true mockery because the obvious dip in production value and quality in this video is just so stark that my criticism may just come across as bullying the weak. You'd like to think that maybe this was going to be one of those remakes in the lines of something like John Carpenter's The Thing or David Cronenberg's The Fly or Brian De Palma's Scarface, but no, this is a remake that will go on to fill the cesspool of countless other pointless, senseless and more importantly inferior remakes aka Tom Cruise's The Mummy. Honestly, when I came up to writing this episode I was actually under the impression that this piece of crap, you know, this god-awful stain on my retinas, was actually the first attempt, the first video produced for Mull of Kintyre and that Maka me giving him the benefit of the doubt, assume that in his infinite wisdom he wisely chose to redo it on the actual location and that the first video was actually the superior remake to an inferior original attempt. Like, by this point, I would have honestly preferred a Gus Van Sant style shot for shot remake of the original video but with better cameras and just call it a day. But no, Paul decided to pop down to London for the day to reshoot the entire thing in Elstree Studios. Elstree Studios being the now famous British film production studios that were home to many, many, many major productions, including, but not limited to, Get Carter, Lolita, The Shining, Flash Gordon, Dark Crystal, One Million Years BC, the Indiana Jones films, and a little known title called Star Wars. Oh, and a certain picture by the title of Give My Regards to Broad Street. Obviously with titles like that, okay, with most of the titles like that, you could reasonably be forgiven for assuming that Elstree Studios has some sort of built-in quality control and that they consistently put out strong pictures. But oh ho ho ho, how wrong you would be. For Elstree Studios, whilst also creating culture-defining art, also had to keep the lights running in the off-seasons by accommodating all sorts of hacky, schlocky, B-list productions. We have Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, Taste the Blood of Dracula, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, Revenge of the She, Mask of the Red Death, and my personal favourite title, Slave Girls. Yeah, brace yourselves folks, for, as you've probably guessed by now, this could really be a Roger Corman slash Len Kabazinski level of production, because, whew, by lord, this does look cheap. This does look fake, and this does ever look like a moderately budgeted segment on the Ukrainian version of Top of the Pops. I don't know what's worse. Is it the obviously painted rear wall background? Is it the obvious set dressing moss that looks like it was inspired by some sort of largely scaled train kit? Is it the smoke machine generated quote unquote mist that lazily lists across the floor? Is it the fact that both Paul and Denny have been significantly downgraded in the wardrobe department and look a little bit dorky? Is it the fact that the set, whilst being rather large, is still so small that it saps any majesty or serious awe away from the Campbelltown Marching Pipe Band? It's all of these things, isn't it? 
You know how the first Mull of Kintyre video was actually shot on location, which allowed for this grand series of sweeping shots that captured the majesty and the scale of the landscape? Well, instead, we seemingly have about eight square feet of terrain for three members of Wings, as well as the entire Campbelltown marching pipe band, which leads me to wonder whether the decision to get rid of Jimmy McCulloch and Joe English wasn't just out of lack of space on the Elstree studio lot for this video. Seriously, I don't know how this got past the editing room by this point because there is just such an obvious restriction on the camera movement and there's this sense of tightness and awkwardness which is only exacerbated by the fact that the only way the video seems to compensate this is by focusing its entire attention on a close-up of Paulie Boy's face which now that I think about it almost might be the very reason that the original video was recommissioned in the first place there were simply not enough close-ups of Paul McCartney's face then, the video decides to go all self-aware meta remake on our hands by swapping certain elements to change things up for the sake of it, rather than having the group stand around an open bonfire singing the songs with the local town folk and the Campbelltown marching pipe band in a heartwarming manner. Instead, we have Paul, Denny and Linda mounted upon this kind of obviously fake, erected paper mache mossy stone mound in a very unnatural, posy, gothic painting manner with the entire Campbelltown marching pipe band encircling them in a very sinister fashion. Which, again, gives me instant The Wicker Man vibes, as it looks like all of the bagpipers are about to surround and devour the trio of wings in front of them. Yes, a very odd image indeed. Or maybe it's this point whereby the Campbelltown pipe band are, are now about to ask Paul for a decent royalty check rather than the 15 quid or the two pence he actually gave them for the recording. Yes, folks, honestly, you will appreciate this video a lot more if you just do what I thought was reality and pretend that this was the first one and then that the first one is actually the second. Though I will honestly be very interested to hear anyone's opinion that this one is the superior one. Please write in to paulmccartneypod at gmail.com or hit me up on the Twitter at McCartneypod if you actually think that this second video was an improvement. You'll be wrong, but I'll find it very interesting. Following on, and we move from the height of Wings, and the height of their success, to their now semi-famous slow but steady decline, starting with London Town's With A Little Luck, aka the song that made me cry for 20 minutes when I got far too stoned at university, cough cough, supposedly. So, Paul has clearly decided that he'll be keeping up with the Wings visual identity crisis for this video as a consistent theme. Basically, he's going to eschew all attempts at being creative and cool by literally just going back and doing the easiest thing possible. No, folks, don't worry. It's not going to be another picture book album. But yeah, we are going to go back to that kind of Blue Peter children's TV presenter version of McCartney as we're going to see him, Denny and Linda perform this absolute classic of a tune in the manner of a kind of cheap birthday party clown in an equally shoddy TV studio. Yeah, not off to the best of starts, are we? 
for yet again it's just the band performing in front of a live audience but this time the live audience is just not on the same level that the juniors farm one was and i know there's two different energies in the room with these two distinctly different songs but maybe that's an inherent clue that with a little look probably shouldn't have a dancey with the audience type music video I know we've had bad and boring in these episodes before, but this really is the nadir for Wings as a creative piece of art, as an effective promotional tool, and for their international street cred. I mean, Jesus, this really is a bad one, folks. Like, if it was a person, I'd struggle to look it in the eye. Like, McCartney really should be embarrassed by this one. There's this, there's Mary Had Little Lamb, and Give My Regards to Broad Street. But again, more on them another time. So this is the first of three music videos for London Town. And whenever a band has that many videos to support an album, then you know that either one of them's going to be in a studio, one of them's going to be live concert footage, and one of them's going to be a little bit more creative. And since London Town didn't have a tour to support it, it looks like we're going to be in for at least two in the studio. We're going to have another one of those high, high, high type of let's pretend we're playing our instruments type of videos. Only this video wishes it was high, high, high. The concept is pretty simple, very been there and done that. It's just Paul on bass with Denny and Linda on keys with a consortium of children and young people dancing around them. Well, I, I say young people. Some of these guys look like they were in a cult 20 years ago and others look like retired porn stars at best. And also I say dancing. It's dancing in the sense that awkwardly shuffling and swaying to the slow, emotively synthy experience can be considered dancing. Like, wow, are these motherfuckers ever the most gormless bunch that you have ever seen? You'd have thunk that coming in hot off wings over America that maybe someone would have been happy to see them there. But no, they all just bop strangely out of time, back and forth, like they are hearing a completely different song. Again, right off the bat, it's clear that a dancey music video for this song was just a bad fit. It shouldn't have gotten past the concept phase. It doesn't fit the song, the tone, or the overall aesthetic. This results in a cluttered, unfocused series of shots that don't know where to look, like some sort of awkward teen at their first house party or dance. Do we focus on Paul? Nope, quick, that's a rubbish shot. Cut to the, the dancers. Oh shit, that's rubbish as well. Uh, cut to two children fucking around. Oh, oh, okay, that's weird. Cut back to the band. Oh, the band, oh, cool. Cut back to the dancers. Oh, they, they don't look cool either. And this just cycles around maddeningly, rinse and repeat. What's worse is that it's all shot on what seems to be the world's cheapest soundstage that was even giving Elstree Studios a fucking run for its money. And despite being in full colour, the whole thing is head to toe in beige. This is one of the most blandly coloured pieces of media in existence. The set design is just laughable all over, but I do have to draw attention to both the terribly rigged backlight that creates this awfully tacky halo around all the band, as well as this hilariously oversized, out of place, was clearly too big to move potted plant that is sat behind the band, and oh boy, oh fuck me, does it ever distract me during the entirety of the video. I can't stop looking at that plant, move it! Whoever did shoot this really does not display much functional knowledge of the art of shooting a music video at all. So many of the directorial decisions are just so confusing. And it actually becomes a real chore for me to sit through too much of it without coming back to make notes. I mean, I'm not sure if 
There was a trend at the time to find the most unflattering angles and awkward close-ups on your subjects as possible. But if there was, then I'm sure that this video was the quintessential example of said movement because we get nice attention-drawing shots on Denny's crooked nose, shots that make Paul look like a serial killer, and more out-of-place Linda cringe shots that last far too long than you can shake a stick at. Like, if Paul was the cute one in the Beatles, you can imagine how all the other members in all the versions of Wings ever felt. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the lovely Linda, and I know Linda isn't a proper rock star, and I know very much that she wanted to focus on being a mother at this point, and she really would rather not be there, and that mocking her is, you know, such a low-hanging fruit altogether. But fuck me, does she ever look like a mum doing the school run who accidentally ended up doing a music video with Paul McCartney? No one walks away cleanly from this one and without scars to their career, but here is the perfect amalgamation of everything you need to know about why Wings and specifically Linda within Wings didn't work. She's stiff, unnatural, obviously self-conscious, not particularly graceful or cool at all, and most importantly, clearly not enjoying herself. I hate to rag on Linda like I say, but it's just a train wreck of late 70s awkwardness all over this video. I know I haven't done a shot-by-shot -shot detailed analysis of the composition for this one, but there really isn't much to say. Nothing flows. The edit feels sluggish and meandering. The dancers don't dance. The band don't band. Everything looks creepy. Everything looks slightly seedly pornographic somehow. And once again, there are far too many times where the cameraman or the editor just gives up and just focuses on a nice big close-up of Paul's face. The whole thing does nothing but tarnish the McCartney and the Wings brand. <sighs> Thank God that only I really care about this song to begin with anyway. Second to last now, and we move on to the music video for London Town from the album of the same name. London Town being the song that works perfectly fine as an album opener and light motif for a concept, but should never have been selected as a single, and kind of therefore never should have been selected as a music video. There, I said it, I got it out of the way, okay? Wings, as a band, from this particular podcast's perspective at least, was a band of wildly fluctuating quality across the board. And whilst we've already touched upon some of the naffer corners of the Wings music video map, we are now truly in uncharted territory here, folks. To the extent whereby I can't help but somehow feel like I'm letting you down by discussing this particular music video on a podcast with all of its visual limitations as a, as a medium. It's a massive disservice to this music video. Yes, folks, it really does have to be seen to be believed. We open on the world's most totally real and totally believable stretch of road that goes off into the distance like a cheap recreation of the Black Highway at Night sequence from Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and then it literally begins to stretch off. As you see that, it's really just a model with some painted forced perspective on a wall. And stood at the end of this long and thinning, pathetic road, are our core wings trio. All of them, of course, dressed like a right bunch of pillocks, head to toe in this kind of whatever they had lying around in the wardrobe department that day, feel to it as they are all, I guess, supposed to be wearing stuff 
that you're supposed to wear went out in the silver rain that comes down in London town. But Denny doesn't even have a hat on, and Linda's hat would barely keep off a light drizzle. And so, once again, Paul is the, he's the only one who kind of looks like he knows what he's doing, but each of them still look ridiculously unsuited and uncool and mismatched and... I don't know what they were thinking, oh my god, barely 30 seconds in and already the band are being presented poorly and most importantly, in a way that just damages any chance of cool. What's worse is that the video resorts to one of the lowest of the lows in terms of what content they can choose to present to you as a video and that is the sin of simply doing a direct on the nose representation of the lyrics from the song. Yep, just read the lyrics and slap said imagery on screen. Walking down the sidewalk on a purple afternoon? Well, yeah, we see them walking down the road and in the background are lights that indicate a purple afternoon. And it only gets worse from there. I was accosted by a barker playing a simple tune upon his flute, toot toot. Well, the band walked past a homeless person playing the flute and it is Macca that actually accosts him, knocking the poor tramp aside in another kind of visual metaphor about how Paul, aka the king of money, views the underclasses. Then to break things up, we have people passing him by on the street, probably people who are impossible to meet. Haha, <laughs> very obvious. There's a street artist and a street vendor. However, despite all of this seeming detail, the whole thing feels very cold, very empty, and like they are really trying to hide the limited budget at every single stretch. And we actually do have this kind of inappropriately annoying little cutaway vignette where we see the out-of-work actor trying to entertain his wife with the same old stories of his ordinary life. And rather than say some sort of bittersweet look at a guy struggling to support his partner, possibly as they argue or something, you know, to reflect the maudlin nature of the tune, we instead have this prick of a mime doing everything in his power to irritate both us, the audience, as well as his sycophantic wife. It's some terrible acting. It's awful. Aside from the fact that London Town is one of the last tracks from this album that I would actually use for a single, there is so much you could have actually done with this video. I'm going to get so tired of saying that today. Like, I just mentioned a little alternative version of a rather obvious interpretation of these lyrics, but do you see how my version uh, has a little bit of a, a tonal contrast? It's some imagery that you might not first associate with the Wings music video. It might just be something that might be a little bit different, but no. Instead, what we have is some all-too-typical McCartney saccharine silliness, and it's all completely naffy in every conceivable way. The absolute worst part of this video, and that really is saying something, is the bit when Paul, still in his corny garb, for some reason decides that it's appropriate to strap on his axe and perform a quote-unquote guitar solo from the title track. And not only does the guitar look incredibly awkward on him when paired with, with all of his gear, but the fact that the guitar has to be plugged in gives away any kind of like logic or sense in the video. I mean, like, why... Why is, is he doing this? It just feels... Like they just didn't know what to do in this moment. They, they they weren't able to cut away to anything. So let's just have Paul pretend he's doing the solo. The whole image just feels wrong in every single way. Wrong look, wrong set, wrong colours, wrong song. It's just awful. You could say the root idea behind the song is an attempt by McCartney, albeit a very poor one, to showcase the lives of ordinary folk. And what happens is that he ends up doing a kind of misservice where he sells himself short and draws further attention to, to, to the fact that perhaps in this period he really was struggling to relate to normal people which could in some genius way be the whole ironic point of the entire video if you really want to be apologist which also relates to the lyric of how ordinary people again are impossible to meet 
Though again, I'm not really inclined to give this sub-mediocre music video the benefit of the doubt on this one, and it's much more likely that this was spat out in a day and was simply made to plug the release schedule with something silly and just something that they thought was going to be lapped up by the post-Wings Over America public. But instead we get this limp-dicked, lame-duck, flat-on-arrival, no-one-laughing music video. As a concept though, I must say it is quite fascinating because if you're keeping up to date with Paul McCartney's recent music video output for Egypt Station, you'll know that Paul has um, recently had an affinity for trying to present his music and his music videos through the medium and through the eyes of ordinary people. And I will actually shortly be discussing this very topic with patron and good friend of the show, Mr. Matt Phillips, very shortly on, on our Egypt Station music video review episode. But yeah, it is rather strange to see Paul take a more direct and uninspired approach to this concept in the mid-70s and fail so badly at it, and yet do it so confidently and comparatively well whilst he's in his late 70s. That's what you get with modern media behind a beetle, I guess. And finally, we shall start to bring a close to today's procedures with the video for I've Had Enough, aka the music video for the only rock track brave enough to grace London Town, aka the only song off London Town to be played live by Wings. I've always loved this song, and for once, it does genuinely make sense as to why this song was chosen to be a music video. It also makes sense that, being one of the only remotely raw and dirty tracks from London Town, that out of all of the three videos that this would be the one that received the smallest budget and even smaller dose of creativity because I hate to break it to you folks, we don't even get a bunch of shuffling extras this time, for we are really truly back on track in the land of bunch of people dancing and playing in a room style of music video. The sad thing is, is that it's painfully obvious that the only reason we essentially have two of these types for and again, the sad thing is, is that it is painfully obvious that the only reason that we have two of these jumpy round, stuck in a room type of music videos is that there was for some reason no tour to support the album and thus there was no concert footage to slap together an appropriate third video. Now, I hate to start off too strong with the most interesting little trivia nugget for the music video, but I think we've already mentioned this on the show a few times in mentioning how this music video is already somewhat of an infamous treasure on this show for, I mean, I think we actually discussed this with, with, with the actual Wings guitarist Lawrence Jube himself, as to how both he and Wings drummer Steve Holly were both featured in this music video, and you can see them on display in many, many shots. But this is despite the fact that they had not been in the band during the original song's recording. Yeah, not really sure how this works, but it does show how immediately these two young whippersnappers were introduced and established into the Wings canon, and how easily dismissed the original artists Jimmy McCulloch and Joe English were. Yep, and really folks, if you want to check out these three music videos for the London Town era really do denote just how chaotic this period was because none of them feature Joe or Jimmy, two of them feature the Wings trio, the kind of band on the run looking era Wings, and then we have this third one with the back to the egg lineup of the band. I mean, these casting inconsistencies are just too much to keep up with at this point. 
The video itself comes in two parts. The first is the shortest of the two, and again is screaming of some sort of barely creative mind realising that the footage he or she has isn't quite interesting enough to justify its own existence without extensive extra material. And it consists of different quarters of the screen that are broken up evenly, uh, each of them focusing on a different shot of the band, um, regular shots that match the rest of the footage, but they alternate slash rotate in this spiral fashion of the four quarters, and yeah, it's just four images on the screen that change occasionally uh, and then rotate as well as changing. Genius! The rest of the video is essentially the exact same footage from the prior segment, except that it's full screen, and is a setup of Wings version 6.0, Return of the Jedi, and is basically just them jumping around in a small, dark, sweaty room, whilst the fixed camera essentially just focuses on these strange close-ups of the band that, if done right, could have been something akin to to the fantastic video for Reptilia by The Strokes or something. But this is altogether much more unfocused and really can only be described as the band jamming around, jumping about, trying to look cool, trying to look rugged and rock and roll, but just not coming across that way at all. It does feel rather forced and rather unnatural. The main thought that pervades my mind during the entire course of this lengthy jump about like a bunch of tosses showcase though is just how oddly suitable this song may have been for incorporating the ideas present in the London Town music video. I know that it seems like you know, it's kind of damning with faint praise here, but the use of vignettes to flesh out this music video, maybe centering on a raging McCartney and the band trashing various places in a display of youthful anarchy, you know, he's had enough, would have certainly improved things. I only say this because it does get pretty dull after the initial joy of seeing the band jumping about. Honestly, I just want something, anything, to break it all up once again. This A plot and B plot issue seems to be something that affects all of these Wings music videos, you know, just this sheer lack of meaty content. Again, if it was used with some other footage in a 50-50 split, then it would be perfect. As even I have to admit that the badassery of the song does give a certain infectious joy to it all, but it just stumbles at that second hurdle. Though, unfortunately, the result is one visual idea stretched out too far like butter over too much bread. I did want to give this song the benefit of the doubt, unlike some of the others that we discussed here today. And you know what? I think I will. Maybe out of all of them, this is the one where the budget and time was just all too constraining on the production. And the fact that we do have these anachronistic band members is only further evidence of this. But yeah, either way, it's still not very good and is only worth it for the completionists and people who want to listen to this song for free on YouTube. Right, come on, enough of this. I've had enough. And there we are, folks. That brings us to the end of both the London Town era of music videos as well as today's general episode. Again, wow, what a rollercoaster ride of quality that truly was. Typical as per the usual four wings, but as always, the highs are always worth the lows with this band. And just as today with Paul's content, I will eat that shit up regardless either way. With the end of part two, we are now over halfway through our time with Wings in this little side series, and then the next episode will probably be our last. This only makes the fact that we've finished all of our Wings content on the main series of the show all the more painful. It's like opening a wound back up because I do love any opportunity to go back and talk about this band again, because they really are fab in their own little Wings way. I know I wanted to keep this thing around six songs and episodes, you know, uh, this is one of those side series that doesn't have to be two hours long or anything, but I kind of wanted to neatly have all of the Back to the Egg music videos in one little collection for an organised episode. 
Now I can hear some of you asking why I chose not to do the James Paul McCartney TV special uh, for the music video series and chose not to do the Back to the Egg TV special as part of my film review series. Well, A, it's my podcast and I can do what I want and B, there were no like live segments or quasi-live segments or other interlinking little set pieces in the Back to the Egg TV special so I thought it would be more appropriate content for this series. But anyway, enough of that. Yes, next episode we'll be covering everything from getting closer to Good Night Tonight. And for those of you who have been listening to the show for a while now, you will know how excited I truly am at the very prospect of that. Right, folks, I hope you have enjoyed today's episode as much as I have recording it. If you want to let me know your opinions on the videography of Paul McCartney, whether videos that we touched on last episode, ones this episode, or even ones that I'll be covering on the next one, drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com or drop me a line on the Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. Links can be found down below for our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash McCartneyPod. Check out our sister blog, which is www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Find us on Facebook and YouTube, and please, once again, leave us a five-star iTunes review if you can. I've read a few of them. Some of you have said some very nice things. Always appreciated there. I'm sure Denny Lane is already playing us out already. Stick around. Tug of War will definitely, definitely, definitely be the next thing that is released on this channel. Gotta record that very, very soon. Oh, it's going to be a big one. Might even have to do three parts. Not entirely sure. But yeah, this has been the second part of our Paul McCartney videography series. Keep listening to Paul. Place of love, place of love. Play us out, Denny.